Hello, and welcome to episode seven of the Posecast with Rabbi Shmuel Posner and myself, Seth Hellman. Rabbi, how are you doing today? Oh, Baruch Hashem. Seven is a very good number. Uh, it's seven we, we talked about week. seven. We've we got the whole, the whole order of creation. So, and seven is also the day of Shabbat. So, um, you got to take it to a whole new level today. <clears throat> Bring it on. Inspired. Well, I don't know. I don't know how we can top last week with the with the <laughs> cottage cheese story. It's it's <laughs> it's one of the most famous RSP stories around, and I'm sure that you got some uh, some good reaction to it. So, w- was there any good reaction to the story? <laughs> Listen. People need to know that if they send me messages, that is fodder for the next episode. That's all there is <laughs> to it. I just got a message 10 minutes ago. The postcast is great. I love the ATC. ATC was the amazing Torah class, which then got replaced by the Jewish U classes. But the amazing Torah class was on Thursday night, 8 o'clock. And this guy graduated uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I told him the ATC is in person. So, <clears throat> so I got two response, well, two feedbacks on the Kadashi story. One of them was actually from my brother, who was at his son's Chabad house at Yale University for Shavuos. Shavuos? Yeah, I think it was Shavuos. Anyway, and he was sitting next to this woman. It's a whole long story, but the bottom line is this woman is talking about, says to him, did you ever, you know, she's talking about her, I think her husband or friend of hers, an Israeli diplomat, like sat down and spoke to the Rebbe. And so she said to my brother, did you ever have a chance to sit down and talk to the Rebbe? And he said, and he said, oh man, she needs to hear Hosecast and sent her the story where we talked about the reverence we have for the Rebbe, and you don't just sit down and schmooze with the Rebbe. So that was amazing, right? That's pretty cool. Here he's having a conversation with somebody, a question comes up, where's the answer? On the postcast. That's where then, all the answers are going to be. All the answers, to all the issues in Judaism. <laughs> Everything you need to know about life, check out the postcast. So um, then at the weekly Shluchen Fabrengen, Right, you know about that, which we have after we learn our sicha. On, it's on Zoom. So, <clears throat> someone mentioned the postcast, and I said, "Oh, did you hear the Kadachi story?" And they hadn't heard it. Oh, guys, yeah, that's not good. They should be listening to it. Well, I guess they're, they're busy. Shluchim are busy. They can't. They don't have time for postcast. But anyway, it could help them. So I told them the Kadachi story, and then I told them a couple of other stories along the similar lines and I got a very nice message the next day from one of the shluchim, actually the guy who teaches the class so he's a brainiac he's a good guy, knows his stuff shliach in Rochester so he was very you know, because although he's very much into the studying of the Rebbe's teachings and you know from the brain point of view but to hear like the personal little stories that puts you in the setting itself was very gratifying for him, which is an interesting thing. I'm not sure this is what we're going to talk about, but the Rebbe, as a leader, as a teacher, you know, his 38 volumes of Lakuta Sichas, hundreds of um, discourses on Chassidus, my modern Chassidus, 
all the videos and audios that you can get online now, <clears throat> really amazing stuff. Which, by the way, I was listening to uh, a short clip from Rabbi Breidowitz, who's the head of yeshiva in Yushalayim, not a Chabad yeshiva. He's, he's a friend of Chabad. And he was talking about <clears throat> how he respects the Rebbe and, and, his, and his leadership and his, um, his knowledge. And he says, you know, I sometimes I watch clips of the dollars on Sunday and see how the Rebbe gives advice to people. That was pretty amazing. <clears throat> think of a rabbi like that who's, I think he used to be a law professor as a, as a rabbi. Very, very, very knowledgeable guy. Very, you know, interesting to listen to him. And he, he's listening to the Rebbe. So that's all great and fine, but then there's that personal connection. Even these, even a story, I don't call it foolish, but it's kind of foolish to kind of see story, but like having that personal connection that I'm and following it through. So people are looking for that. And here, even hearing about it is inspiring to them. So those are the two feedbacks on podcast, postcast number six. And here we are today. I mean, it's definitely, it's a great story. You know, I was, I was thinking today, um, you know, I was looking at my feet. I was thinking about <laughs> feet in general. And, and the, the, the first thought, so first off, my, my toes are in terrible shape right now. I've got, you don't I've got care. These, <laughs> my big toes have really terrible bruises on them, but I was looking right. at the other toes and I was thinking about how you can kind of move your big toes by themselves <laughs> But you can't really move the other four by themselves. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's the, here's the deal. <laughs> there, there, there's more logic to this, okay? Don't just cut me off here and make me sound like a nudnik. Oh, man. <laughs> so I was thinking, I was like, how important are our toes, right? Like, they're, they're very, very useful because mm. they help stabilize us. And they help stabilize your feet. And feet are extremely important. Mm. And that, I think, is where you come in. And that's <laughs> So this has this is how the podcast comes along. The postcast comes along. Seth sits there up in New Hampshire, which we know that nothing really goes on in New Hampshire, and he like has. <laughs> and then we get subjects to talk about. Actually, feet are amazingly important because they do support the rest of the body. Now, what do feet represent in Torah and Chasidut? So, oh, there's so much to talk about. We can do like four sessions on this. <laughs> we'll try to minimize it though. Um, feet, 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 feet. The first thing is that actually Moses calls the Jewish people feet. He says, when they're when they're complaining, he says, What am I doing amongst the 600,000 Ragle Ha'am, the feet of the people? What does the feet have to do with it? So the people are connected to the feet. If Moshe is the head, the people are the feet. Now, you know that your feet, your feet, our feet are very important because they take us where we want to go, right? So what do they represent? They represent, in our relationship to Hashem, there's two, two general approaches. One is seichel and one is kabbalah seichel, which means one is intellect. We understand. We do a mitzvah. Why do you do a mitzvah? So you understand. Um, believing in God, right? Why do you believe in Hashem? Because we understand it. We think about it. The Rambam explains it. He, has, he spends time talking about how do we know Hashem gave us the Torah. That's knowledge. That's understanding. Then there's a point of obedience. Obedience means we do we understand we understand that Hashem is Hashem, God is God, and if God is God and tells us to do something, we should do it. 
you don't have to have, there's no logical read. The logic, it, being obedient makes sense, right? When you go to your doctor and he tells you, if you want your toes to heal, he tells you what to do, you're going to listen to him. And I say, no, 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 wait a second, doctor. I need to understand this. He'll say, fine. Well, now that you graduated, go to medical school, do internship and residency, and in eight years from now, come back from now, come back to me, and I'll explain to you how this med medication is going to help you help you feel better. That's ridiculous. You wouldn't do that. You would you would you would trust him. You trust him because it makes sense to trust the doctor. It makes sense to do what Hashem wants, even though we don't understand it. So it's not like we're not suspending our logic. We're using our logic to do something which is beneficial for us, which is to obey what Hashem wants us to do. That's what the feet do. The feet take you where you have to go. And, in, and it's interesting because when you talk about the 10 powers of the soul, the 10, the 10 kochat anefs or 10 svirot, second, um, the third chapter of Tanya, you have intellect, the chabad, and the head. Then you have the midot. Chesed is the right. Gur is the left. Kindness is the right. Severity is the left, right? And it goes, and then it continues down. So from intellect goes down to emotion. And from emotion comes into practical motivation, what you're going to do. Now, in the body, the strongest part of the body is not the head. Physically, it's not the head. It's not even the, 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 the main body itself. It's not the hands. It's the feet. The legs are stronger than the rest of the body. And that, that makes a lot of sense because the, strength, the legs have to carry the whole body. And in the same sense, our connection to Hashem, the strength, the power, the core is saying, we will do because you want us to do it, Hashem. Which we, we just came from, from Matan Torah when the Jews said, Nas of Anishma. We will, we will do, we will obey, and we will understand. So obeying comes first. So there you go with a little insight into feet in Torah. How's that? Yeah, it, it's good. You kept it nice and, <laughs> and short and sweet. You yes. know, on the topic of feet, so, so feet, feet end up doing a lot of things this time of the year because generally speaking, it's not right now. I don't know why, but normally it's warm this time of the year. And so people like to put on their flip-flops, go to the beach, walk around in the sand, go to the Dead Sea, perhaps, make a nice little trip mm. around the world. Uh. And so I, it got me thinking, do you have, you know, what, what's going on at the Chabad house right now? What, what are your summer, your summer plans? Because obviously there aren't particularly many students. Ooh, summertime plans. Interesting. Um, you know, I don't plan. <laughs> <laughs> it comes as it comes so summertime actually at the Chabadas is very interesting because even though we keep up our normal schedule of Shabbos you know davening and meals and all that we try to keep the Torah classes going um, in person or we have the we have Wednesday night um, online and it'll be interested it starts at 9 o'clock 920 <laughs> today 9 20. yeah it comes it goes after Myers so it's today's 9 it's 9 20 quiet um so that yeah so we keep that going along and then comes the surprises because people are traveling visiting this and that and summer students so we actually have an interesting lineup coming for Shabbos this week we have a couple of very fascinating guests one is coming from that I know of actually there's four of them that I know of already the guests one is coming from Israel. I don't know what he's doing here. I think he said he called me from Pittsburgh and he's coming to Boston. He said, no problem, show up. And one guy is 
a doctor or a resident in one of the hospitals here. He's coming. And the daughter of an alum is showing up. She's in Boston for, I don't know, I didn't find out what she's here for, but we'll find out on Shabbos. And then some other student is here also from Florida, also doing an internship. So as, as, as the students go flying around the world, different places, so that's one thing that, that they see. So here you have students from three different Chabad houses coming to see our, being part of our Chabad house. Our students are who knows where in different places around the world. So there's that interaction. So we don't really, and then we have the plans. We'll go to New York a couple of times, you know, next, uh, not this Sunday, week from Sunday, there's a wedding, Baruch Hashem, of an alumni. So we're getting around. But I think, you know, in a general sense, summertime, I think the emphasis is not so much on summer, but on time. And in last week's parasha talks about, I don't know if we mentioned this last week. We did, I forgot, but it doesn't matter. Everybody else is watching, we'll forget too. Talked about the wagons that the, the heads of the tribes contributed to the Mishkan. This, I'm sure this has been repeated in every Chabad house around the world because it's such a simple and powerful thought from the Rebbe. And I've heard myself from different, like, oh, this kid that goes to be you, one of the twins, um, that was an insight thing, the twins, um, sent me this message, this voice note. I heard this great Vartara, and he's in Texas. And, I'm, and I was laughing because it was exactly what I'm going to tell you right now, which I gave over on Shabbos as well. So they had the Mishkan in the desert, right? The sanctuary, okay? Then it comes the point that the heads of, of the tribe, of each tribe, says we're going to contribute gifts to the Mishkan to inaugurate the Mishkan. Gold and, and, and sacrifices, different, different, different items. Okay. But before that, the, the, the Mishkan has to be transported. It's you take it when they travel the desert, they take it apart and they transport it. So part of the things are carried on the on the shoulders, like the holy things, like the the ark with the tablets and the small altar and the and the menorah. That's carried. But then there's the beams that go that make up the walls of the Mishkan. Those are transported with wagons and also the curtains. The curtains also go on wagons. Okay. So they got together and they contributed six wagons and 12 oxen to pull them. And so the Rebbe says, in a beautiful way he describes, is like, these are, like, what are they thinking? So that means that they decide whom we should, they need wagons. That's not part of what Hashem told the, the Jews to bring for the Mishkan, so they have, but they need it. So one guy says to the guy, you know, we'll contribute one wagon together. I mean, how lame is that? Each one can contribute one wagon. And then the Gemara in Shabbos, practiced Shabbat, goes into a whole understanding of how they got these beams. There was 48 beams, and they were big, and they were wide, and they, and they were heavy. And the Gemara there talks about, since the wagons are a private domain, so you're picking up from the public domain, putting it to the private, and the whole idea of not carrying comes from there. But the Gemara goes through this whole analysis of how big the wagons were. How did they fit on? And there's all kinds of opinions there. It's like, oh, just contribute another six wagons. Make it 12 wagons. It'll be so easy. Not to think, so no thinking about it. And so the Rebbe makes the point and says very simply, they figured out what was needed to transport the beams, how many wagons were needed. And they figured out exactly how, much, how many were needed. And, that was, and that's what they contributed. If, if you had more, it would be a waste. It would be a waste. It, wasn't, it wouldn't be necessary. So if you can fit 12 beams on each wagon, 
And the Rebbe smiled at the Fermenian and said, yes, I just did the math. It's 12. So 48 divided by, by 4 is 12. <laughs> so you could, if, you could, if you only put 10, then it's not living up to its capacity. So you're wasting it. And then he goes on and talks about time. He said the same thing is also with time. It's not just stuff. We're not, we all know there's about pastures. Don't waste. You know, if you, you shouldn't waste food, or I don't know if you grow up in a house with a Jewish mother, hey, you're wasting food. How can you waste it? How can you waste it? So you end up, you know, eating everything that's there. You know what? Because how can you waste it? So the idea of wasting is what's wrong with wasting? So Hashem created it there for a purpose. And you're wasting it like, ah, oh, that's like not, not, not letting it rise up to fulfill its purpose of, of being created in the world. And that's with stuff. The same thing goes with time. And so when it comes to summertime, the question is, what are you doing with your time? So it's not just it's not just what things you've done, but what's about all the time? Have you used, have you used it properly? And of course, I know this is getting to the subject you love most. What should a person be doing with their time that they're not in university, that they're, you know, they have to study and they have all this stuff, that they have time, time to go to yeshiva. Go to yeshiva. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so this so that that's I think it's a very fun and aside from that, it's like the thing. So so to answer your question on a serious note, I do think to myself, okay, if I have more time today, what am I gonna like? What Torah can I learn? What can I what, what would I always want to learn? I have no time, I have no time. Now I have the time. And so uh yeah, it's a gift to be able to have time that you you're not you, your time is not owned by somebody else is a gift. And you should always, everybody should use it to do positive things, to elevate it, learn Torah, do mitzvot, etc. I think it's, you bring up an interesting point there, which is when you have the time, what are the things that I haven't yet gotten to learn? So as someone who's fairly experienced in life, you've had a lot of time, but what's something in particular that you feel like you haven't had the time to to learn that you're looking forward to at some point soon? You know, it's funny you say that. I'm going to I'm going to tell you an answer. You spent like three postcasts talking about Gamora Saita. Well, yeah, because we were in the middle of it. I'm 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 just making. I stated a fact. It wasn't a criticism. There is two pages in Gemara. I think it's the Chavtes and Lamed. That gets laws of purity and impurity. And I remember learning it and going through it and realizing that I'm not really getting it. It's it's complicated. I'm I'm getting it on the surface. And then I was listening to a seum that they made in Gemara Saita. In Crown Heights, and the and the guy who was teaching it was talking about how whatever it's the first time he's been teaching Gemara, da da da, go through, and then he said, he says that, and he and he was giving this class in public and online, like a you know big deal. And he's saying, and when I came to that, those two dafu Chavtes and Lamid, I was listening to Rabbi So and So who was there at this at the seum. I listened to his class, and I'm like oh. I guess it really was tough. Even this guy who's giving the class had to spend a few hours and listen to somebody else. I said, that's one of the things that my, my goals, I'm going to go back and learn those two pages of Talmud. So it's not like these huge subjects, but it's just things that, even, even things that, like I'm preparing to teach tonight um, a, a talk on from the Rebbe on the parasha, 
I have time to actually look up the sources and get to the, you know, get to flesh it out, learn it much more, more properly without, you know, there's no pressure. The time pressure is not, there's no pressure, but there's less pressure on my time. So that's the type of thing. So learning, or this morning I sat down and learned today's Torah portion. It's very fascinating when it talks about the Jews traveling in the desert and there was two horns, two trumpets that Hashem told Moshe to make and how they were used both to gather all the Jews and to gather the heads of tribes and when they had to travel and how each there was different ways of blowing them to indicate what was supposed to happen. These type of things to be able to slow down and use your time, the things you're doing normally to do a little bit slower. Torah, you're learning normally to do a little bit slower and more in depth. That's personally what I, what how my time, the increased time that I have, how I'm using that time. And I'm checking out, I'm calling alumni. I'm calling alumni. If you didn't get a call, guys, call me. I'll have time to talk to you now. <laughs> I'm, this is all the alumni that are listening, right? There's hundreds of them. I hope. So we we started off discussing the back end of a Rebbe story, and obviously people enjoy that one. But do you have any other <laughs> Rebbe stories that you're thinking of right now? They don't necessarily have to be, you know, I went and got cottage cheese for the Rebbe, but like... <laughs> this, I was only one time. That was a one-time experience. So I thought about this. And it's one of the things I shared actually with the guy last week because they wanted more, more stories. I told him, I don't have any like amazing stories, but just like personal, you know, being there and things that happen, you know, just personal um, in interaction. And, and it was just, you know, th outstanding things that weren't usual. So here, this is the one that came up to my mind because last week I was in Shul in Brighton, Chabad, Chabad Shul in Brighton. And it came time for Torah reading. What, what was today? Today's week. It was on Thursday, last Thursday. And the Torah has a little latch on it with a lock. And it has a combination. And everybody knows what the combination is. What do you think the combination is? 770. Right, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, if too many people hear this, it's going to be terrible because Chabad house around the world will be broken into, God forbid, because every, everybody's got 770. Not not the the Chabad house in Kenmore Square though, because seven isn't even a digit on the <laughs> on the door. So, so it is. But I can't. It's in code, but I can't tell you. Anyway, <laughs> um, for the safety of my wife and children. So, um, so the guy goes to open the lock. The lock's not opening. So there's four numbers now. Obviously, three of them are seven seventy, and I I don't even know what the first one was supposed to be, but it was supposed to be something. And it wasn't opening. So what do you can do? Can't read the Torah. Da, 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 da. So we ended up trying to, to break the, the latch. You know, so the, the, the latch goes into something like this, and then the lock goes on the other side there. And so if you break that little piece off, the lock comes off and it could open it up. Okay, that didn't work. So finally, so we're trying to bend it and turn it. Finally, somebody brings this little shear, and I take it and I cut, cut that little piece, and it came off. Like, oh, Baruch Hashem. So then I, then, now here's the Rebbe story. That's what brought that Rebbe story to mind. So the Rebbe would daven, would come into Torah reading in those years when I was there in the, in the um, early 80s. And the Rebbe would come in to daven, not wouldn't come in for daven for all of chakras, but would come Monday and Thursday, he would join the, the, the minion for Torah reading. 
So you gotta you gotta imagine this. If you imagine if you know if you know so Dreva comes in the door over here, there's a table, then there's the ark, then there's the where the chazan stands, and then right next to where the chazan stands, that's where I stood. Okay, so now there's me, the chazan, the ark, the table, the Rebbe. Okay, and in front of the ark is the bima. Now this is very, it's a small room. I, I think you've, you, you were there in Crown Heights. It's not, it's not a big room. But what's that, my position, what I was able to peek out from the other side of the ark if I, and see the Rebbe. Of course, the Rebbe's looking at me. I would duck back. I don't want the Rebbe looking at me. I want to look at him. I don't want to see me. So that was a good vantage point there. And the angle was good because when the Rebbe would get his aliyah, everybody would gather around him, but nobody would stand in front of the bima because that would block the Aram Kaidish. So first of all, it's not respectful for the ark. It's not respectful for the Rebbe. You don't stand in front. You don't put your back to the Aram Kaidish, and you don't block the Rebbe's view standing in front of the Aram Kaidish. You don't stand in front of him. Okay. So that gave me that perfect angle, peeking out this way and then seeing the Rebbe that way. So the Rebbe comes in for, you know, we're all waiting at that point in davening, and the Rebbe would always come right away. I guess somebody told him it was time for Torah reading. He came out, and he's putting on his gartel. He's saying, Vahibin Seya, for the opening of the ark. They open up the curtain, and lo and behold, the Aaron Kodesh is locked. There's a lock on it. And everybody's looking around, like, who has the key? Who has the key? I don't think anybody knew who had, I mean, somebody had the key. I didn't know who it was. Maybe somebody else did know. Somebody went to run to get him, this and that. And I'm standing over there, like two feet away from the Aaron Kaidish, right? Three feet the most. And and the and the Rebbe's pulling on his gartel and he's finishing saying I even say, and then he, he's looking up. And I'm like, oh my golly, I figured the Rebbe's gonna look up, and the ark is the curtains open and the doors closed. And no one went to the Rebbe and said, you know, <laughs> we can't find the we can't find the key. I'm like, and all of this is happening in moments. Like this is, I'm telling you to, uh, uh, but in my mind, I can only think three letters: O H, O M H. Oh my Hashem, what's going to happen? They're ever standing there, and there's no, and someone's going to find the key. Who, and, and, and. So I, as on an impulse, I stretched out my hand, I grabbed the lock, and I twisted it, and it broke off the, pulled it out of latch. And then I looked up, and the Rebbe was looking like, oh, and so I, I slithered back into my place. And that was, and, and you know, the rain went on. And then I came back in, after we finished dominating, went to eat breakfast, came back. By the time I got back, there was somebody there already putting a new latch onto it. <laughs> and I guess they made better arrangements to have the key. So that was, that was my, um, that's the next story. I, I think the lesson here is that Rabbi Posner is absolutely yoked and is way stronger than everyone thinks that he is. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know. Just to me, I, I still remember. I, I vividly remember it because it was it was kind of tr- afterwards, you know, like, you were like, what did I just do? I just ripped the lock off the Arun Kaidish in front of the Rebbe. And so it had this, I, I, that's why I remember this so clearly that this, how that story happened. And um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, I think, you know, Talmud says when a king has to go travel, they can, he can, imminent domain, he can go through anything. Mm-hmm. If the Rebbe is waiting for the Torah reading, we don't sit around waiting for keys and this and that. You just got to break it off. Anyway. So that's all right. There you go. There was a story. That's that's a it's a solid story. I think it goes right up there with the cottage cheese story. <laughs> it's it's certainly memorable. 
Uh, but I do yeah. think that is all the time we have for this week's episode of the Postcast with Rabbi Shmuel Posner. As always, if you have questions that you want answered, you can email email me at s-h-e-l-m-a-n at b-u dot e-d-u. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe to the Postcast, and we'll see you next week, same time, same place. Yeah, and um, if anybody has any subjects like us to discuss, please contact Seth at shelman at bu.edu or contact me any way you can. There's so many, you can even comment to this podcast, that's podcast known as the Postcast, and we will see the message and we'll get right back to you. Always monitoring those uh, those comments. So we'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks for joining.